Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So those words were written 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. See, Isaiah had this prophetic vision that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He said that by his wounds, whose wounds? By Jesus' wounds, we were healed. Now, those wounds were pretty powerful because those wounds, out of those wounds came blood. And God, from the beginning, blood was a big deal. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, God declared that the life of a creature was in its blood. Its blood, blood was the atonement for another's life. So blood has always been a big deal. In fact, if you turn back, flip back one chapter to Leviticus chapter 16, you see the sacrificial system in the Old Testament in its fullest form in this mobile worship center called the tabernacle. Here's what would take place. The high priest on an annual basis, once a year, he would go into the holy place and he would take the blood of a bull and here's what he would do. He'd sprinkle it on the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat and then he would go outside in front of all of Israel once a year and he would take that blood and he would put it on the horns of the altar and then he would grab a goat and on that goat he would lay his hands and he would confess all of the sins all of the rebellious acts toward God that the people committed against God's will his word and his way he would he would confess that over the guilt he would release his hands and the goat would run off to the wilderness it's where we get the term scapegoat Fast forward, and what we see is the Apostle Peter who says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He says, Jesus bore, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. And then he pulls back that passage out of Isaiah 53. He says, by his wounds, we are healed. Now, what flows from the wounds? It's the blood. That's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming down toward the Jordan River, he said, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To you and me, we might have heard that, that verse a hundred times. But in the first century to the Jews, they were like, what? John, what are you talking about? This is Jesus. This is the son of Mary and Joseph, lamb of God, taking away the sin of the world. Like, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? But then it all became clear to them. It became clear after the cross. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10.10. He says that it's through the sacrifice of Jesus through his blood on the cross that, that actually 
died for us once and for all, for all times, for all people who call on the name of Jesus for all sin. See, the power of the cross is the blood of Jesus on the cross because it's atonement. It's the final atonement. It's the payment. See, behind this camera and houses right now, all through our city and perhaps around the nation, there is a lot of sin behind that camera. And you know what? There's a lot of sin in front of this camera. It starts right here. Jesus died for my sin and your sin, our sin. The cross has the final word because the cross is the place where Jesus made the payment for our sin. What did that payment do? Redeemed us. See, it was redemption in the blood. Do you, do you know what that means? Redemption actually means it's a payment. It's, it's to regain possession of something in exchange for something. To regain possession. See, through the blood of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, what God did was he regained possession of us. We came face to face, heart to heart with God because of Jesus and his death and his work on the cross. That's why the Apostle Paul picks it up and he says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, he says we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins for all people, all people at all time, in all places, throughout eternity, we have redemption through his blood. Now, all of this kind of came together in one of those scenes in the gospel. In fact, it was in an upper room with his original disciples, the apostles. And as Jesus was gathered on the night that he was betrayed, they were eating the Passover meal. Now the Passover went back to Exodus when God had redeemed the Israelites out of Egypt and he pulled them away into the wilderness, taking them to the promised land. And there, the blood was kind of put on the doorpost and the angel would pass over as a sign of God's providence, his provision, his love. And Jesus Jesus redefines. He says, now I am the Passover lamb. What they heard when John the Baptist spoke of Jesus coming toward the Jordan now was being fulfilled in the upper room when Jesus said, hey, listen, I know we're eating this meal together, but I need to tell you something. I, I need you to know that my body my body is going to be broken for you. And my blood, it's going to be a cup. A cup that's going to represent my blood and a new covenant, a new way, a new association that you're going to have with my heavenly Father. And so tonight on this Good Friday, we're going to celebrate communion together as families, wherever you are, whoever you are. Maybe you're in De Pere or Nina or or Kakana, or Greenville, or Hortonville. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're part of the body, the church family here at Pathways. And what we're going to do, maybe your, your child kind of ran off into the next room, or, or your teenager wandered off, they're looking at their device. I need you just to pause, to go get them. Perhaps maybe if you're alone, you're not alone because we're in this together, and you're a part of our church family. And so you just kind of sit in this moment with us. Grab those elements. Maybe you can find some, some creative things. I, I don't know. Grab cat crackers or, or, or juice or whatever you have. 
The point is, we're going to remember, we're going to eat, and we're going to drink together. So what I want you to do is grab your family. I want you to gather around in that place where you're watching and worshiping. I want you to watch this video. I want you to take in. I want you to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then I'll come back and we'll partake of communion together.
So tonight as we're one family, one church together in this, across homes in our city, remembering the sacrifice of Christ. This bread represents his body. It was broken for you and for me. His sacrifice, that atonement, the redemption for all people who would call on the name of Jesus for all sin, for all time. Let us eat together. And then the cup, which represents his blood. Why don't you take this cup? Let's drink. Let's drink together. Now that video that you just saw was really taken out of the Gospel of John. See, Jesus tells Peter, he says, Hey Peter, where where I'm going to go, you can't follow. And for the time that I have remaining, what I want to do is I want to pull you into a true story that really should have died with the Emperor Nero in the first century. But because Peter was an eyewitness account, because he told this story, it was dictated to and recorded by John Mark, which comes to us in our modern era through the Gospel of Mark in our Bibles today, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's what Peter told told Mark. He said, I want you to know something. He said, I want you to know, in fact, what we're going to do is I want to take a look at Mark chapter 14 and 15. In Mark chapter 14, after they had taken the elements together, while John's gospel says that Peter Peter was told that he couldn't follow Jesus, Mark actually tells a different story, a story given by Peter. See, what Jesus told Peter and all the disciples in Mark chapter 14 is that all of them would fall away. Peter said, no, 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 not me, Jesus. There's no way. I'll go with you to death. There's no way. And Jesus said, no, Peter, you're going to fall away. You're going to betray me. In fact, he predicts his denial after they had the Passover meal together. In fact, Jesus said these words. He says, no, Peter, here's what I want you to know. Before the rooster crows twice today, you're going to deny me three times. And so they went out to the Mount of Olives to the garden where Jesus was praying. And you talk, see, earlier in my message, I I was talking about the theology of the cross. But today, at the heart of what I want to communicate with you is the crisis of the cross. There was such a deep and profound crisis that oftentimes we miss when it comes to the cross. I remember going to services when I was growing up, Good Friday services, and it was almost like I felt like I had to put myself in this mood. And yes, I was grateful for Jesus and the sacrifice for me, for my sins, but I missed the crisis of the cross. When Jesus went to the garden, he said, my soul is overwhelmed, even to the point of death. He was overwhelmed. And then in chapter 14, Jesus is taken before the Sanhedrin. And it says, scripture says that Peter followed him from a distance. Listen, don't follow Jesus from a distance. Peter followed him from a distance. He got to the court outside of the Sanhedrin as they were questioning Jesus, beginning to beat and mock and persecute him. And there, by a fire, is where the crisis took place. 
the crisis for Peter. He felt the crisis of his own faith because Jesus had predicted his denial. In fact, there was a little servant girl of the high priest who was there at the fire as Peter was warming himself. She said to Peter, aren't you the person, aren't you one of them who follows this Jesus? And he denied, he said, no way. Later on, as more people were gathered around, some of the soldiers themselves, the girl then, she talks up again and says, hey, you're, you're one of his followers. He said, no, no, I'm not. And then finally, as other soldiers had gathered around the fire, they said, hey, you're one of the Galileans. You're one of his followers. Scripture says that he, he called down curses. He said, I, I don't even know this man. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, fire in scripture represents a lot of things. One of the things that represents is a time of testing, a time of refining. For Peter, this was a crisis moment because what happens next in scripture on Peter's own account is that he heard the rooster crow. He heard the rooster crow the second time and he thought to himself, oh my word, I denied him three times. Scripture says that he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. You know, the crisis of the cross means so much more to me now. Maybe because now we're in a crisis together as a world. Maybe, maybe and, I, and I know that the cross is is something that has its final word through all of time, all of human history. And, and what I've been thinking about the last week is, why did Jesus go to the cross? Simple question, right? And yeah, I know he went to the cross because of his great love for you and for me, I get it. I understand that and I am profoundly and deeply grateful for the cross, for his love. But I've been thinking, there's been this verse that has been just so deep within me. A verse that I've probably read a thousand times before, but it's becoming more and more apparent to, to one of the reasons, a profound reason, at least during the crisis of the cross that Jesus endured. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way that Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He scorned the shame of the cross. He shamed shame on the cross in order that he would secure our redemption and he would sit down at the right hand of the Father. And, and I've been thinking to myself, the crisis of the cross, this Good Friday is probably more significant for you and for me than it ever has been before. And here's why, because we're living in a crisis, a, a crisis that perhaps we thought we could avert. We could engineer our lives in such a way where we wouldn't be impacted by something called COVID-19, a crisis that's worldwide touching all people in all places from all tongues and all languages and all ethnic groups. It's no respecter persons, it's the great equalizers from those in our movies to those in our news to those in our government, to those in our city, those in Milwaukee, those in Madison. We're in crisis mode. 
But the thing that I got thinking about was that this Good Friday in many ways is like, is like we're living Good Friday. We're in Friday right now. We're in Friday and we're in Saturday right now. But the question that I want to ask you is what's the joy beyond this crisis? What's the joy beyond COVID? What's the joy that God has in store for us? Because we know that Sunday is coming because we know that we're gonna sit and we're gonna gather together and still we're gonna know that hope is alive. But that hope is a hope that's for today. And so I just want to ask you this question. What stories will we tell when this crisis is done and over with? What, what stories are we going to tell in the next year or two, three? What, what stories are we going to tell to our kids and our grandkids about COVID-19? Because if God himself knew that there was joy beyond the cross, then what does he know that is beyond this moment for you and for me? Here's what I know. He knows there's freedom. He knows there's hope. He knows there's love. And he knows there's faith. Why? Because out of his great love, he died for you and for me.